As we come into our time of worship, I want to remind you of a couple of things. I know now's not the time for announcements, but certainly something to be prayerfully considering. One, um, because we celebrated the Lord's Supper today, we have made a commitment to on the days that we celebrate the Lord's Supper to also collect a love offering for our partner church, Living Faith of Indianapolis. We have partnered with a North American board, uh, North American Mission Board church plant in Indianapolis. Um, they are doing tremendous work up there, both in the college campus of IUPUI, as well as in several communities around uh, Indianapolis. Um, they actually have two locations now. One location is in the near west, which is close to the Indianapolis Zoo. The other location is now in Irvington, um, which is a kind of a neighborhood of uh, Indianapolis, very much so in the heart and in the center of Indianapolis. And they are doing God's work in both of those places. And uh, we like to collect a love offering. And so as we close our service today, our offering plates are actually in the back of the of the sanctuary. And there will be a couple of our deacons standing there holding a plate. And that will be the plate for your love offering. So as you feel led to give, we would encourage you to give along with your regular tithes and offerings. Um, give to that and we will send all of that money up to Living Faith to help them as they reach Indianapolis with the gospel. As we talk about reaching the gospel, we will also be going out tonight at 530 for what we call first things first. And first things first is where we go out and we hit different parts, neighborhoods around our church. Um, and just for the sole purpose of getting them to know us, letting us get to know them, sharing the good news of the gospel with them. And if we don't get a chance to talk to them one on one, leaving something that gives them information about our church as well as information about the gospel. So all of that is happening today. As we get into our text today, we are going to be finishing up our study in the book of Titus. And so we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. And as we read the word of God, I would invite you to stand in reverence of the word of God. Paul's letter to Titus closes in this way. He says, when I send Artemis or Tysicus to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Please be seated. These are those final words, those closing few statements from Paul to his, his, his friend and his son in the faith, Titus. Like most of Paul's letters, he ends it with greetings and, and some sort of final instruction to the recipient. However, this does not mean that this is something that we should brush off. Oftentimes when we get into one of Paul's letters, whether it's a particularly long one like Romans or 1 Corinthians or even a short one like Titus or 1 and 2 Timothy, there is a temptation to us to, once we get to the part where he's like, hey, tell this guy hi and tell this guy hi and, and, and I'm going to send you this guy here, make sure that, that you're nice to him. We kind of tend to just kind of brush over those very quickly as we either move on to the next letter or we close out our our time together. But I want us to think for just a moment about these final instructions and what they might reveal to us about Paul, 
about what he wants Titus to be doing and really what the overarching message of the letter was. As I was preparing this message, I was reminded of when I was learning to drive. Now, depending on who you are and whether you've been in the car with me, you may think that I am still learning to drive. But some people come to to driving very naturally. I think that a lot of people, and my brother was this way and I hate him for it. um, When he got behind the wheel, he just kind of immediately knew what to do. He was very comfortable there. It was almost like within like 30 minutes he was out on the road and my brother was very good at it. Now, this may have been maybe he had stolen cars at some point. I don't know. Um, But he was by the time he turned 16, he seemed to already know what he was doing behind the wheel. I did not. Driving did not come natural to me. It was something that I had to learn. In fact, because it was something that I had to learn, me and my dad had a lot of um, tension. As I was learning to drive, there was a few sharp words, a lot of very loud words as I was learning to drive. And it reminded me of one occasion with my dad. And my dad and I had had gone out driving. And I think I don't remember all the context of, of this event. I just remember the ending. But I think what had happened was, is we were driving to go meet the rest of the family somewhere like a grocery store or a restaurant. And so our drive and my drive with my dad ended in a parking lot. And as we pulled into the parking lot and and I I went into the the parking space, my dad began to tell me all of the things I needed to do. I need to turn off this. I need to turn off that. I need to do this. I need to look for this. I need to turn my tires this way. And and as he began to tell me all of these things, I began to get so flustered by all the things he was telling me to do that I forgot about the fact that I needed to put the car in park. And so as he's telling me all of these things, suddenly I let my foot off of the brake and the car began to very slowly but very surely run square into the car opposite me in the parking space. And it made a noise. And then my dad made a much larger noise. And then we corrected the problem. Now, thanks be to God. As I gave that car opposite me a little love tap, it did not do any harm to that car, nor did it do any harm to the car that I was driving. See, I had gotten so flustered and so caught up in all of the things that dad was telling me, I forgot the most important thing about this part of driving, which was put the car in park. And I think that sometimes we can do that with some of Paul's letters, too. Paul often was writing a letter for maybe one or maybe just very few specific reasons to the churches. But within that letter, we might have multiple things that he's telling us to do, multiple of applications, a lot of theology and all of the things that go in that. And we can kind of get caught up and then therefore mixed up in all of the things that Paul is teaching us that by the end we have forgotten the reason that he was writing. That may have been true for Titus as well. And so Paul comes to the end of his letter and he begins to restate the main purpose, the main things that he wants Titus to be doing while he is on the island of Crete. Paul is concerned that Paul, that Titus might forget that he is to be zealous for what Paul is instructing him to do. And that for and that because of all of the other things and all of the other jobs that Paul has instructed Titus on, that he might forget to keep the mess, the mission in mind. 
And for this reason, Paul ends his letter with a reminder to Titus of just how big the mission actually is. And I think that this short little closing passage is here also to remind us to keep the big things, the big things. I want to give you three things that I believe Paul is reminding Titus of. The first thing I think that Paul is reminding Titus of is that it's not about him. Or specifically, it's not about you and it's not about me. Paul begins this final passage by letting Titus know that he is going to be sending a replacement for him in the near future. If you remember that Paul left Titus, this is Titus 1 verse 5, he says he left Titus on the island of Crete so that he would set in order what remained and appoint elders. So there was a purpose and a mission to Titus being on Creed. And at the very beginning of our letter, we're told about that. And he says, at some point, Paul, wherever he is, he has gone on from this island of Crete and he's doing ministry somewhere else. But he had left Titus there with a very specific purpose and a very specific cause. And that's what he was going. That was the reason why he stayed there. However, as Titus is doing all of these things, Paul is reminding him That his mission in Crete is only a temporary one. And that Lord willing, in the very near future, either Artemis or Tysicus is going to arrive. And that they hopefully will find these jobs accomplished within the church and ready to move on to other things within the church. But Titus is not going to remain in Crete. The purpose and the mission of Titus was never to stay in Crete forever. Now, if you think about it, you get started in a certain ministry in a certain place and and maybe things start going well and and you might get the, the desire or the temptation to settle down and to get comfortable and to begin to, we would say, grow roots and just chill. Most of the time we do that because it is comfortable. Who enjoys moving? Nobody. There's a thrill to the idea of moving, right? There's a thrill to like, oh boy, I get to go somewhere new. But moving is a pain. And I know I got some military people in here and I know that I've just heard the stories about moving in the military. That sounds traumatizing. It's a pain. It is such a pain that you start looking at your stuff and going, why do I have this? I haven't I I have literally pulled out things and said, I didn't even I don't even know what this is. Why do I still have a broken thing That will never work again. There's no amount of duct tape that will fix this. And then you still go, I don't know, put it in a box. (laughs) And we move the same broken stuff. I know for a fact. I have lived in Elizabethtown 11 years and I still have boxes in my basement and in my garage that I never opened. Why do I have those things? If I haven't used them in 11 years, what makes me think I'm going to use them now, right? It's a pain. It's a hassle. When we get comfortable, we begin to start to to settle down and gather all this stuff and, you know, gather moss if we kind of think about it. And and we and we're comfortable in that. Paul is telling Titus, don't get comfortable. Your ministry, your work, what God is calling you to do is not going to be Crete forever. You need to be ready and open for when God moves you on to another thing. Paul is asking him to leave Crete and to meet up with him in a city called Nicopolis. Once there, Paul and Titus will both do ministry in the city and prepare for whatever is next. Notice Paul even says, he says, I want you to come to me to Nicopolis because I just plan to winter there. 
That doesn't mean he's staying put either. He's saying, I want you to come to where I am. I'm going to be staying here for a while, but I'm not staying here forever either. So this is still just a landing pad to a landing pad to a landing pad. It is important for us to remember that we are replaceable. That was what really jumped out at me at this passage. I even read this as we've got Titus and he's got a book of the Bible named after him. And he's one of Paul's kind of right hand man slash left hand man people. And he's been here for this very important mission. And even then, Paul's like, oh, by the way, I'm sending someone to you. They're going to take over. And when they take over, you just cut. You come to me. We've got other stuff to do. The mission of God here or anywhere else is just not. We just need to remember this. It's just not dependent on us. That's not to say that you're not important, that you don't have a lot of value and that God doesn't care about you. On the contrary, God wants to use you and he has plans for you within the kingdom. But the mission of God is not, nor has it ever been dependent on anyone. And that should be both a humbling and a liberating feeling to you. God doesn't need you, but God certainly wants you. That gives us a little bit of room to breathe and remember that we are not perfect. That allows us to say, you know, maybe this season in my life is, is over and it's time to move on to a different ministry. There's not, there's not some point that, that you get called up in the draft and they, they, they say, all right, you are children's ministry and you will be children's ministry to the end of your days. But God is, is growing you and God is moving you and God is, is doing things in your life to equip you and make you fit for something new. And as God does that through your life, we ought to be open to that. Even when that means handing off a ministry to the next person in line. Trusting that God will use them just like he used you, even if that means using you using them differently than how they used you. It is good and healthy for us to remember that the ministries that we have been called to will outlive us. And we should prepare them to outlive us as well. I often think, and, and I've got my, my in-laws here today, and so I'm going to be, I guess you can't say I'm talking about them behind their back because they're here. Um, but when I went to my first ministry, my first church, I left a church that I'd grown up in and I went to a church called Midway Heights Baptist. And when I showed up at that church, the church had had a long history of of youth ministry and doing great things. And my mother-in-law, who's here today, was even on the, the youth council, the youth committee that kind of oversaw all that stuff. But I noticed something when I got there. And that is every time they had a youth minister on staff, that youth minister would build up the youth ministry. But the moment that youth minister left, everything stopped. And then the next person came in and he had to create everything again and everything new. And when the next person came in, they would do stuff. And when that person left, everything stopped. And so when I came into that youth ministry, I, I kind of walked in and, and, and really just had young people saying, can we just do something? Can we just as, as we do this Jesus thing, can you just do something? Because we haven't done anything in, in months and I remember at that moment thinking, listen, if I'm going to build a youth program, I need to build a youth program that if a God calls me somewhere else, the youth program still exists. And that there are people in place 
that will keep things going even though I'm not there anymore. And so I did. And seven years later, when God called me to this crazy little church in Kentucky, there were people like my brother-in-law who was sitting in here that knew what we did, how we did it, why we did it. And when I left, the ministry kept going. We should all do that. We should look at the ministries that we are a part of, even as you are here right now. And maybe you do youth and maybe you do children. Maybe you do an important part of our uh, bereavement meals and our fellowship hall stuff. Maybe you maybe you clean something or you're responsible for for buying certain things or putting the flowers up. Make sure that you approach that ministry and that job as one that should outlive you. And bring other people into the conversation and bring other people there so that when the day comes, because it will. When the day comes where you either where God is calling you to a different ministry or you just flat out can't do it anymore, that someone is there and ready to take it over for you. Remember that you're replaceable. Desire to be replaceable. And as we build the kingdom of God, let us build in such a way that we intend for the things that we do to outlive us. On top of this, we should be open to God moving us into new ministries, both within the church and within the kingdom. We should not assume that what we are doing right now is what we are going to be doing right on into eternity. But we must allow God to use us in places that he wants us to be used. We present ourselves to God with an open hand. You've heard me use this analogy often that when we put that we put our work in our hand and we lift it up to God with our hands open. Knowing that God may take put ministries and jobs into our hand, but he also may take those out in order to put new things in. And regardless of whether God is calling us to new things or to keep doing the old things, we trust him and that his plan is perfect. Even even Paul himself would speak about a shift in ministry in his own time in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 18, we read this. For I will not presume to speak of anything Except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed in the power of signs and wonders and the power of the spirit. So that from Jerusalem and around about as far as Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And then listen to this. He says, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named so that I would not build on another man's foundation. Paul knew that in his ministry at this point, he had been all around kind of the Roman Empire on the eastern side of it. He had been from, from through all of, of Turkey and Jerusalem and all of these areas around Greece. And he knew that he had exhausted his time there and he had gone to all the churches and he built them up. And this is it. Paul recognized the fact that all of those churches, that the Ephesians, the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, the Galatians, um, all of those people did not need him anymore. And so he was writing to Rome to say, hey, I'm moving on and I'm coming your way and I'm heading to Spain. That's guys, that should be in our mindset. I want to, as God is calling me into ministry and as God is calling me to do the things of God, I need to serve him and bring things to a point where I am not needed to see that ministry continue. For pastors, there's this huge temptation to think the church would not function without me. I have news for you. If I was struck by lightning as I walked out the door today, this church would still meet next Sunday. They better. 
It's on you. Maybe Daryl, I'll put you on the hot spot too. Because this church is bigger than any one individual in here, and we've seen that. Next Sunday, we'll be celebrating our 77th homecoming. And throughout the years, we have had charter members, and now we have one charter member still a member of this church. And she is a wonderful, glorious, godly woman, and I love her to the moon and back. And I think she knows, and I think she wants this church to outlive her. And we should think about that in every way, shape, and form. Paul knew that God was moving him into new territory and he was willing to follow God's leadership. Will you do the same? Not only is Paul telling Titus that it's not all about him and therefore it's not all about us, but it's also not just about where he is. It's not just about the here and now. Paul's next instruction to Titus is to support Apollos and Zemus the lawyer. I want you to notice again the words that we see in verse 13. He says, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. He tells Titus to help these two as they go on their way. Much like Paul, Apollos and Zenos are traveling evangelists or apostles who are proclaiming the gospel, winning the lost and planting churches. They are going to places and seeing the gospel proclaimed, seeing churches get formed, doing a lot of the same things that even Titus is doing, establishing their elders and their deacons and doing all of those things. And he recognizes the fact that they are coming through Crete, but they are not going to stay at Crete. Titus has been told to support them and make sure that they have everything they need on their way. This means that the ministries of Apollos and Zenos are not really going to directly benefit the churches of Crete. It would benefit them in the big picture, but not necessarily in an immediate or tangible way. The ministry of the local church should not be only concerned with right here. I cannot tell you, I've heard many times from both lay people as well as pastors, this comment that says, we have enough lost people right here and we don't need to be worrying about those other people out there. Often talking about doing missions, especially missions overseas. I've even heard that conversation at an associational meeting with a pastor where we're all supposed to gather together and talk about how we can reach the, the world, the nations for the gospel. And one of them said, well, we don't really need to reach the nations for the gospel because we have lost people here. I've said it once and I will say it a thousand more times. The ministry of the local church should always should be thinking in the both and mindset. Meaning that we should be doing both evangelism in our community, like we are today with First Things First, and sending and supporting church planters across the nation and throughout the globe. There is a reason why this church does things like First Things First, goes to Oneida, supports Living Faith in Indianapolis, and sends mission teams to Brazil. Because we believe in a both and ministry that God has called us to both and in Acts 1 8, where he said, but you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He was saying, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. 
And therefore, we as the church of God today should be ministers and witnesses in Elizabethtown and Hardin County and Kentucky and the United States and the rest of the world. It is a both and thing. And what is neat about that is I know as we look out in this room, there are some of you that have a particular burden for Elizabethtown. Some of you have a have a burden for more of Hardin County in general. You recognize the need for for gospel witness in Radcliffe or Vine Grove or, or you know, going as far as Muldrow or who knows where. Some of you have a much, you know, a, a desire to see the gospel go out to other places in Kentucky. Maybe you live in other places in Kentucky and you want to see the gospel go there. I hope and pray that we have people, both young and old, that even here are feeling a, a burden and a call to help out church planters across the United States, like in Indianapolis, but maybe other places like New York or Cincinnati or St. Louis or Puerto Rico. And then maybe, just maybe, some of us have a deep burden and calling to take the good news of the gospel to the nations. To go to places like Brazil or into Africa or on into Asia. See, the gospel is not meant to just stay stuck here in Kentucky. But make no mistake, Kentucky needs the gospel. And there are blessings that come with this. And as we give to the cooperative program, as we support churches like Living Faith, and as we do things with our mission partners in Brazil or in Oneida, while we may not see that direct benefit, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that when we support and when we are involved in missions and evangelism throughout the nations, that we will see the benefit. Look what Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. He said, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God because of the proof given by this ministry. They will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel and for the liberate and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is why we cooperate within the Lincoln Association of Baptists, the Kentucky Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist Convention. It's why we do things like cooperative program. It's why we do Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, Eliza Brodus. It's why we take love offerings when we do the Lord's Supper, because we want to support and help those on the mission field. But it's more than just our money. It is also our presence and our voice and our going out. It's when we show up on a Sunday night to go share the gospel. It's when we sign up to go on the mission trip to go move freshmen into IUPUI so that we can share Christ with them and invite them to living faith. It's when we get on that plane and go halfway around the world so that we can show these people who live up in the hills of Brazil that God loves them and he wants to have a relationship with them. When we are reminded that the mission is not just here. We will see, begin to see just how big the mission is and how big our God is and how good the good news is. And we will reap the benefit of that. Because we will be blessed through it and we will grow through it. 
And it will give us the confidence to share the gospel all the more while we are here. One more thing I want you to notice from this passage. We've said it's not just about us. It's not just about right here. But it's also just not just about them. And you guys are kind of the them. See, what Titus, what Paul ultimately says to Titus is he talks about them at the end of our passage. He says, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds and to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. See, the them that we're talking about, at least in the text, is specifically about the people of Crete. Up to this point, Paul has been addressing Titus directly, but now he expands this advice to the entire church of Crete. It is highly likely that Paul wrote this letter to Titus, but he knew that Titus would ultimately read this letter to all the churches in Crete and then on so much so that we still have it today. This letter was in such circulation that it got passed out that we that that hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, we still have manuscripts of this letter because it was copied and handed out so diligently. Paul is saying that the advice that he is giving to Titus is also going and applying to the whole church. Paul is again encouraging the church to do what is good. In this case, by supporting Apollos and Zenos, as well as helping Titus with the transition that is upcoming. The whole church is called to come together to cooperate and support the ministries of the church, both near and far. This requires the church to put aside its personal preferences for the sake of the kingdom of God. We know what we like, right? We know how we like it, things decorated. We know how we like the carpet to look. We know how we like the music to sound. We know how we like the preaching to sound. And, and, and we know our preferences. And Paul is calling the church in Crete, just like he is calling us today, to put aside our preferences and keep the mission in mind. In doing so, they will be fruitful. Or as Paul says, they will be not unfruitful. This means fruitful in doing things that will glorify God, that we will go and share the good news, that we will put ourselves in uncomfortable situations and uncomfortable places. Not that they're dangerous, they're just uncomfortable so that people who do not know Jesus might learn about him. And it is also means that we will live in such a way that people will have a desire to learn about God. I love what Paul says to the church in Philippi in this regard. He says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of other and have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We must Keep the mission in mind. We must remember that it is not about us. It is not about our comfort or our personal interests. It is not just about our community and our neighborhoods, but it is all about the kingdom of God. And we must lay all things aside to that end. So that the world might know who we serve and that they might hear the good news that we have for them. We can get caught up in a lot of stuff, people. 
We can get caught up in music and dress. We can get caught up in, in language and translations. We can get caught up in a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, are we keeping the kingdom in mind? Do we keep the mission before us? Do we have a desire to see God glorified and Christ known both here and there and everywhere? My challenge to you today is if you are a Christian and there are preferences, there are things in your life that are keeping you from keeping the mission in mind that you have have somehow maybe elevated your personal preferences or your comfort zone above the mission of God. I would challenge you to repent. Now, repentance may look like a lot of different things. It may look like finally allowing someone else into the ministry that you've kind of had a monopoly on and beginning to train them and teach them and, and show them the way to go. It may mean putting aside your personal preferences on on music or times or all that stuff and being open to a new thing. It may be finally taking that first step in where God is calling you to, to go. Because maybe God's calling you to do ministry or to do missions or to, to really maybe adopt a certain group of people or a certain area in our community to tell them about Jesus and you haven't done it because it's scary. I challenge you. Put the ministry first. Put the mission of God first and begin to follow and begin to pursue the furthering of the kingdom. If you are with us today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to understand something. That when we talk about Christ, when we talk about Christianity, when we even talk about this church, we don't mean this building. Because like I said earlier, if I were to walk out that door and get struck by lightning, this church would still exist next next Sunday. But I'll tell you one more thing. If I walked out that door and this building got struck by lightning and it was gone, which would be a heck of a lightning. This church would still meet next Sunday. It may be in a field. It may be under a canopy. It may be in my living room. Sorry, Liz. But we would gather together to worship. Because Christianity, because the kingdom is not a building, it's not an individual, it's not a preacher, and it's not a music. But Christianity is the good news of the gospel that has transformed lives. Now, the good news of the gospel, we like to present in this church a very specific way. And uh, if you look up the board, we believe first and foremost that God has a design. And this affects everything. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes on to talk about how God created all things. And, and that teaches us that God had a, a purpose and a design in creation. And that same purpose and the design has carried over into all of creation that we can see and into you. That you were made with a point and a purpose and a design. That God did not mess up when he made you. And really, if we could just follow God's design perfectly, then we would have no problems. But we don't. But each and every one of us in this room decides to make up our own design and our own purpose and our own ideas, and we leave God's design, and that's called sin. And sin is just that. It's using something the way that the manufacturer did not intend. And when you use something the way the manufacturer did not intend, what often ends up to that thing is it gets broken. See, the Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then it goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death. 
And so death ta- or sin takes you somewhere, and that's a place that we call brokenness. And we feel that brokenness. Brokenness is that thing in our gut, that thing in our heart that tells us that we're not right. That we're not doing what we are supposed to be doing. That we're not living the way that we're supposed to live. It's that feeling of guilt or that feeling like I don't belong. All of that is brokenness being felt by you. And we can talk about scripture and all it talks about that. And we can tell you how, how our sin has created a separation between us and God. But I don't need to give you all the Bible because I believe that if you are with us today, you have probably felt broken in your life at some point. And because of that, you've tried to fix yourself. And you tried to fix yourself using exercise, a new job, a new outfit, a new haircut. You've tried to fix yourself maybe by hiding the problem under overconfidence or numbing it using drugs or alcohol. You tried to fix yourself by making kids that aren't broken, only to discover they are. But the reality is, is we can't fix ourselves because we can't get out of brokenness from brokenness. And that's when the good news of the gospel comes in. And the good news of the gospel is this, that God, you've heard it a bit today, that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son. And the Bible says that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And that happened because Jesus, God's son, lived a perfect life to take your place. And he died on the cross and he received the wrath of God on your behalf. And he died and he rose from the grave three days later to give you new life in him. The Bible says, we mentioned it already, that you need to believe that this gospel is true. Just like any gift, if I were handing you a gift right now, you the first thing you'd have to believe if I was giving you a new car, a new car. First, you'd have to believe I'm giving it to you. But then you'd have to reach out and take those keys, wouldn't you? The Bible treats the gift of Jesus Christ in the same way. First, we have to believe the good news of the gospel. We have to believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. And then we have to reach out and we have to take that gift. And that's what it means by repent. In fact, John 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. And what that means is first you believe that the good news of the gospel is true and then you repent, you turn away from your sin. Notice the arrows pointing a different way. You turn away from your sin and you turn towards Christ and you make him the Lord of your life and that you begin to follow him no matter how imperfectly you're going to do so. And the Bible says when you do those things, you will be delivered from your brokenness and begin to recover and pursue God's design for your life. This is the message of the gospel. This is why all of these people come together on Sunday morning. This is why we are here. And this message is for everyone. It's for the people across the street and for the people across the globe. This is the mission. So that everyone will be able to hear and respond to this good news and be taught how to recover and pursue God's design for their life. Where are you? Do you still feel yourself in that brokenness? Do you recognize that that you have yet to truly repent and believe in the good news of the gospel? Do you feel that brokenness in your heart and are you tired of it yet? What's keeping you from making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? 
If you are ready to do that today, I'm going to be standing up here in just a few minutes as Joe sings one final song. You don't have to talk to me. You can talk with the person who brought you. But if you would like to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, or you would like to respond to this message in any way today, maybe God's calling you into ministry. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to to um, recognize what, what God is doing in your life and, and begin to bring someone into the ministries you're already serving. However God is leading you, we want to invite you to respond. That might mean coming up to these stairs and praying. That might be coming up to me and having a conversation and praying together. However God is leading you to respond today, we invite you to do so. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, we thank you so much for your word, because, Lord, we know your word is truth. God, we praise you for these final words that Paul had for Titus that remind us to keep the mission in mind. Lord, help us to remember that, that the, the, the kingdom is not about us, that the kingdom is not about just here, Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and Lord, that the kingdom is not about about us as a collected group, but Lord, you have enlisted us to take the good news of the gospel to the nations. That Lord, the kingdom is not about us at all, but the kingdom is about you and about your heavenly kingdom, and about your glory and your name being on every mouth. Lord, we long for the day where people from every tribe, every tongue and every nation will bow down before you and say, Jesus is Lord. But God, I pray until that day comes that we keep that mission in mind. And God, that we work to that, that we we do as, as our, our theme for the year is that we labor and strive. So that the gospel might go forth. God, I believe that you have called each and every one of us to play a part in that. And Lord, I believe that for some people today, that part begins with them surrendering their life to you. And so, God, we pray that your spirit might work, that I might call us to salvation, that it might equip us to do the work of ministry, and that it might send us to that very end. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.